Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Today we begin working through Aeschylus' Oresteia trilogy. The first play-up is Agamemnon, or the original cell block tango. He really did have it coming. Unlike the previous Aeschylus plays that we've read, I actually do own this one, a translation by Richmond Vladimir. This means it is, compared to what I was using previously, a relatively recent translation. I like Lattimore's ability to translate the power and poetry of the original Greek while still being fairly accessible to a modern reader. Whatever translator you have found for Agamemnon, I recommend you try to find the same translator for the Libation Bearers and the Humanities, the other plays in the Oresteia. That shouldn't be too difficult, as these three plays are frequently published together. There are also a few words that you should be familiar with because that will make it easier to follow the plot. Ancient Greece wasn't a unified country like it is today, so there weren't Greeks per se. Instead, Greece was made up of tribes with different names and are frequently referred to by those names in ancient literature, which also means we will use these names frequently. When you see Danaeans, think Greeks. When you see Achaeans, think Greeks. Ilium, on the other hand, means Troy. If you think about it, the Iliad is about the Trojan War, right? So if you can remember that, then you should be able to remember that Ilium is another name for Troy. I don't have a handy tip for remembering that Danaeans and Achaeans means Greeks. Agamemnon is the first play in Aeschylus' Oresteia trilogy. The other two plays in the trilogy are The Libation Bearers and The Humanities. This is the only complete trilogy that has survived, so we will be able to look at each play in its own right, and we will discuss the group as a whole after we've read The Humanities. The trilogy premiered at Dionysia in 458 BCE, where it took first prize. Are you sensing a pattern? The play is set in Argos, where Agamemnon is king. Now, there are other parts of Greek mythology that state that Agamemnon was king of Mycenae. You can think of Argos as the region and Mycenae as the capital city. Agamemnon's brother, Menelaus, was king of Sparta. He was married to Helen. You've probably heard of Helen because she's the one who had the face that launched a thousand ships, leading to the start of the Trojan War. So the place is Argos, and the time is just after the Trojan War has ended. The cast is fairly traditional in terms of a Greek tragedy. There are parts for three actors, a chorus, and some non-speaking attendants. As is frequently the case, the three actors play multiple roles. The homogenous chorus is made up of Argive elders. These are men who were too old to go fight in the Trojan War, and since the war lasted 10 years, this means they are all now really old. And as usual, there is a leader of the chorus who speaks on behalf of them all during some of the episodes. The play opens with an unnamed watchman who is doing what watchmen do and keeping watch, specifically for the signal that the war has ended. Another unnamed character is the herald who comes bearing the news that the war has ended. Clytemnestra is Agamemnon's wife. She is also Helen of Troy's sister. Agamemnon is the king of Argos. He's been off leading the fight against Troy. That's right, it's Agamemnon's brother's wife who ran off and or was abducted. The mythology is unclear on how willing Helen was in her relationship with Paris of Troy. The Iliad can't even seem to decide, and that's a single source. But Menelaus lets his big brother take charge. Greek families were messed up. And as we go through the synopsis, we'll cover just how messed up Agamemnon and Menelaus's family was. Cassandra is the daughter of King Priam of Troy. She was a priestess of Apollo. You've heard of the Oracle of Delphi? That was one of Apollo's temples. Cassandra was not a priestess at Delphi, but like the Oracle, she was a prophetess. But then she met this guy and Apollo got mad and cursed her 
leaving her the gift of prophecy, but making it so that no one would believe her. Aegisthus is Agamemnon's cousin. He appears at the end of this play and will become more important when we read The Libation Bearers. As a quick refresher, we're looking for a prologue, parados, a series of episodes and stasimons, and an exodus. The play begins with a brief prologue spoken by the Watchmen. There is a beacon that is supposed to be lit when the Trojan War is won, and that's what he's been watching for. For a long time. And he's getting tired. But then he sees the light, and he runs off to let everyone know the war is over. The chorus enters. They sing a rather lengthy parados about the war and how they were too old to go and fight in the war and how they hope the Danaeans have fair weather for sailing. This last point is important. When they were trying to depart for Troy, the Greek armies had a little problem. There was no wind. But Agamemnon figured out how to appease the gods so that the winds would blow fair for them. You see, he and Clytemnestra had a daughter named Iphigenia, and Agamemnon decided that sacrificing Iphigenia was what the gods wanted him to do. So he did. And the winds blew, and the Greeks went off to Troy, and they fought for ten years, and the war is finally over. But don't forget that it started with Agamemnon killing his own daughter, because that's kind of important to the plot of this play. And that's why they spend a lot of the Parados recounting the story of the sacrifice. Clytemnestra enters, and she and the chorus talk about the war being over. At first, the chorus isn't positive that the war has been won, but Clytemnestra explains how the beacon lights function, that they are a series of lights starting in Troy and wouldn't be lit unless the Greeks had overtaken Troy and lit the first one. And the chorus decides that she knows what she's talking about. The chorus sings a stasem on thanking Zeus and the other gods for the end of the war. In their song, they cover the story of Helen and how she went off to Troy to be with Paris. They spend a bit of time blaming her for all of the young men who are coming home in urns. They sing about the Furies. Remember Iphigenia? Good. Now you need to remember the Furies, too. They are responsible for revenging murders. They are very important to this trilogy. The Herald enters, and Clytemnestra gets an I told you so moment. It's not exactly mansplaining, because the Herald doesn't know that she had already told the chorus that the war was won. It's a phenomenon I shall call manderstanding, in which people don't believe what a woman said until a man tells them the same thing. She tells the Herald to let Agamemnon know that everyone, especially his wife, are really excited to see him again after all these years. The Herald takes her at her word because, you know, she's a queen, so she couldn't possibly have an ulterior motive, like the fact that he murdered their daughter. Remember Iphigenia and the Furies? Good, keep remembering them. The chorus asks about what has happened to Menelaus. The Herald explains that he and Helen survived the war, but their ship got blown off course and no one knows exactly where they are. But that is a myth for another day, so you don't need to know anything other than that. The Herald exits. The chorus sings a short song about how Paris broke Zeus's law on being a good guest when he carried Helen off. I told you that it's really unclear how willing Helen was in this process. Remember the Furies? Okay, Paris didn't kill anyone, at least not until the Trojan War started. But he did break the rules, so the chorus says that it's all his fault that Troy fell. Because that's how justice is supposed to work, right? No? Good. Keep that in mind as we continue reading through this trilogy you might be onto something.
This isn't a very long song. It's long enough for a costume change so that the Herald can put on his Cassandra costume. Remember, there are only three actors, and all three are going to be st on stage in the next episode. Agamemnon enters with Cassandra at his side. He's happy. She's not. Agamemnon says a little prayer on Thanksgiving of his survival, and then says he's happy to get back to the work of being king. Clytemnestra tells him how happy she is that he's home, and how she had tried to kill herself multiple times while he was gone. She explains that their son, Orestes, has been sent away, kind of like children in England were sent to the countryside for safety during World War II. Orestes. That sounds kind of like Oresteia, doesn't it? Yes, this trilogy is really about him, even though he doesn't appear in this first play. Agamemnon and Clytemnestra have a spat about whether or not he should get the red carpet treatment. She says he deserves it. He says he doesn't. She wins, and they exit, leaving Cassandra in the chorus. The chorus sings a little song about how they aren't so sure everything is as rosy as it may appear. Clytemnestra returns to tell Cassandra that she is to come inside, too. Cassandra ignores her, and there is discussion over whether or not she even speaks Greek. After all, she is from Troy and is technically, therefore, a barbarian. Clytemnestra gives up and goes back inside. Cassandra then does her Cassandra thing and starts seeing the future. The very near future. It turns out she does speak Greek, by the way. She explains to the chorus about her curse to see the future but not be believed. And the future that she's seen, it's not pretty. She says that the cow and the bull need to be kept separate because the bull is going to die in his bath. Yeah, she's not talking about cattle. The chorus goes back and forth between telling her that they believe her despite her curse and saying that they don't understand what she's talking about. She tells the chorus that if she goes inside, it means her death. They tell her that she shouldn't go inside in that case. She tells them that she is resigned to her fate, but asks them to bear witness to her pending murder, and she exits. There's something you need to know about Greek tragedy. People die, sure, but we don't usually see it. They die off stage. The third stasimon is the chorus responding to what they are hearing off stage. From off stage, we and they hear Agamemnon cry out that he has been struck, and the chorus sings of their confusion over what on earth is happening. Clytemnestra enters, and the corpses of Agamemnon and Cassandra are revealed. She confesses to their murders and explains why she did it. Remember Iphigenia? Clytemnestra states that she has avenged Iphigenia's death. Seriously, she could easily break into a chorus of, He had it coming, he had it coming, he had it coming all along, and fit right in with the rest of the Merry Murderesses. She does not feel guilty in the least, because vengeance of this sort is always justified. Aegisthus enters and claims that he has killed Agamemnon because of the curse on the house of Atreus. Remember how I said that this family is really messed up? Well, the basic story is that Aegisthus' dad, Thyestes, and Agamemnon's dad, Atreus, were brothers, and they couldn't agree on who should be king of Argos. When Atreus won out, Thyestes got his revenge by sleeping with Atreus's wife. So, Atreus decided to one-up the revenge by inviting Thyestes to dinner and serving a feast that included nephew stew, as in stew containing Atreus's nephews, which would be Thyestes' sons. So, Thyestes then cursed the house of Atreus, including Agamemnon and Menelaus. The chorus berates Aegisthus for planning the murder, but not having the balls to do it himself. Aegisthus insists that he is rich enough to be the new king. 
Just when it's about to come to blows on stage, Clytemnestra intercedes and says that there has been enough bloodshed. She also calls Aegisthus her dearest and says that they will rule together. Suspicious, no? The chorus hopes for Orestes to return because then he can seek vengeance for Agamemnon's death. And that is where this play in the trilogy ends. We'll meet Orestes in the next play, The Libation Bearers. The first theme that stands out in this play is justice. How should justice be meted out? Who is responsible for it? How does it end? Atreus and Thyestes got into a fight. Thyestes cursed Atreus and Atreus's descendants. Helen ran off with Paris, so Menelaus and Agamemnon assembled the troops. The winds wouldn't blow, so Agamemnon killed Iphigenia. Clytemnestra couldn't forgive this act, so she killed Agamemnon. Where does it stop? This theme will be further explored and fleshed out in the subsequent plays. Another theme that is worth exploring is the role of women. Clytemnestra is the primary figure in this play, and Cassandra has an extended scene in which she is alone with the chorus. We see their grief. Clytemnestra's over the death of Iphigenia, and Cassandra's over the loss of all that she has known and her own impending doom. These are juicy roles to play. But they are both pushed aside by men. The chorus isn't sure that Clytemnestra knows what she's talking about until the herald allows them to understand that the war really is won. The chorus simultaneously feels pity towards Cassandra while telling her that she speaks in riddles as she clearly states that she's about to be murdered. And then there's good old Aegisthus, who takes the credit for planning the murders even though he lets Clytemnestra do the deed. What does this tell us about the role of women in ancient Greece? We will continue to explore these themes and more as we work our way through the Oresteia. We'll cover the second play in this trilogy, The Libation Bearers, in two weeks. Next week is a Greek comedy week, and we'll be reading Aristophanes' The Knights. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.